All right, so everybody, welcome back. Today I have a great person with me. He was in Camp Vavre with me. He was a first-year counselor. Goes by the name Michael Bailey. I, I prefer calling him Sauce, though. So, <laughs> Sauce, appreciate you joining me today. Dude, it's my pleasure, man. I'm stoked to be on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How, how's your week been? So, I'm not going to lie. These past two weeks have just been... Like, grades just combating me, man. Like, mm -hmm. going underneath the water with grades and stuff like that, man. Like, pulling all-nighters, kind of going ham, getting my GPA right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm, like, on my degree plan, and I have, like, all my hours moved in. Mm -hmm. I have, like, and my advisor tell me, oh, yeah, you're actually going to probably have to stay another year. So, having that thrown at you. But, <laughs> you know, I'm, always, I'm, I'm excited because I get to go back to Houston pretty soon, man, and uh, eat some good chicken mm. and, like, get some good turkey and, like, meet some good family folks. So, yeah. seeing, like, the light at the end of the tunnel, like, it's pretty nice. Honestly, just ready to be done with all the semester schoolwork, bro, yeah. <laughs> like, to be real. Especially like junior year, I feel like, most difficult year. See, the thing is, like, with junior year, I feel is like, it's difficult with coursework because you're getting into, like, what you actually want to learn, but you also have to go about getting your internship. You have to get go about pursuing those resume-building opportunities. So, in a way, it can feel, like, super busy, mm -hmm. but you're not really focusing on what you want to do. Or, I don't know if that's, like, how I feel or whatnot, but I don't know. It's eye-opening, to say the least, because you get to start getting a peek into what you want to do in the sure, future yeah. with coursework and whatnot. So, yeah. you know, the trade-offs are there. The trade-offs mm. are there. And since you're staying a whole extra year, that makes you, what, spring 23 now? Super senior, baby. Yeah. Like, possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd want to take summer courses and reduce those hours so I can, like, graduate on time with the rest of my peers. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to be aiming to do. Mm -hmm. But at this point, it's just, like, got to have to really push for these last, like, couple of semesters to make all my hours up. Like, grades are straight. Yeah. But it's just, like, managing, like, keeping grades on top and doing, like, all the resume building stuff on top of that. So mm -hmm. I'm just trying to take a page out of your book, to be honest. Man. And, like, <laughs> stay on top of stuff. I, I definitely don't have things figured out, though. I, there's a lot of things behind the scene that you don't see. I'm just struggling. Ah, bro. In my eyes, dog, you're succeeding, man. You're <laughs> golden, brother. I appreciate that. Um, you mentioned Thanksgiving. Do you guys mm -hmm. have plan on having family over? I know it's a pretty unique year. Yeah. So I'm actually glad you um, talked about that because Thanksgiving is probably the first tradition that my family has ever done. So my family is broken up across the U.S. a little a little much. So I have family in parts of like Dallas and then Houston as well as New Jersey and then California. And so every year, ever since we immigrated to America in 2007, we would meet at my, at my family's house in Houston and have a Thanksgiving to really just catch up on what the family's been doing. But of course, like you said, man, like, mm -hmm. dude, the world's crazy right now, dude. For like, real. My aunt and uncle, they bought a plane ticket to come down here, but they had to cancel it just because the cases have been kind of crazy, dude. So like you said, man, I don't know how it's going to look this year, but it's going to be nice because... I get to see at least my nuclear family, and then I'm pretty sure we're going to be trying to do some sort of Zoom for a little bit to kind of just see everybody's face, and then we'll start for a face with some good food. So definitely won't be able to have everybody at the table this year, but just looking fondly to what I do have. So I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to that, but it's pretty cool because the tradition, dude, like, oh, I'm Korean, by the way. Dog, when I tell you, like, Caribbeans, like, they turn up. <laughs> so every Thanksgiving, it's like a... 
field day until 3 a.m. So that's super fun. Not for my neighbors, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. For, for us, it's kind of just us and like me and my family. Mm. A lot of my, actually all of my relatives are in China. Yeah. So they kind of just stay there. We just visit them either in the summer mm-hmm. or winter, but for like holidays like this, we're kind of just just us four, which is nice. Yeah. It's nice to like keep the group small. Um, usually my sister comes back. This year she's not. She's staying in New York to finish up school. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to like go back and forth too many times. Like plane tickets pretty expensive and then just COVID exposure too. So oh, yeah. it'll be nice though. We have a dog at home. Like my parents uh, just recently they're they're babysitting this puppy mm-hmm. just to see what it's like to have a dog because I think they want in the future, the near future, to get a dog. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to meet this dog for the first time. Awesome, man. That sounds cute, Super dude. Super excited. Thank you. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving dish or does it change every single year? No, you actually are, are right. I do have a favorite Thanksgiving dish. So huge sweet tooth. Like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. It's probably not a good thing. <laughs> but what I have learned in my years of overly obsessive like dessert baking is I can make a pretty good bread pudding. Mm-hmm. And every year, ever since I was a kid, the number one like dessert dish that we would have for Thanksgiving is Caribbean Caribbean bread pudding. And it's like your standard bread pudding, but you add a dash of rum into it while you're baking. Oh. And that makes it super delectable, man. You throw some like vanilla bourbon sauce on there and it's fire. Dang. So I've been making it a lot ever since like um I moved over here to Seastat just to be like reminiscent of home and whatnot. And they right. come out pretty good. So whenever I'm feeling good, I ace a test or whatnot. I'm just yeah. like, all you right. Treat yourself. That's what I'm saying, bro. Like, might as well get a little thick in as well and feel <laughs> good. So, you know, mm-hmm. I got a big sweet tooth. So that's my favorite dish is mm-hmm. whenever everybody's done eating with the turkey and whatnot. Yeah. Savory is always nice, but I love to end it off on a sweet note. Okay. Mine's very simple. I just like mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep it pretty simple. Oh yeah, man. But that sounds really good. I, I've seen a couple of your videos on your Snapchat. Oh, where you yeah. just whipped it up in the kitchen. <laughs> it <laughs> it's so funny. You just zooming in on different portions of the food <laughs> and kind of just doing a voiceover. Oh my goodness, yes, man. So it's like funny you brought that up because I'm actually planning on making like little video edits. Mm. There's like certain channels I'll follow on YouTube, like just cooking, like Adam Ragusea binging with Babish, like just home cooks, because that's what I've been getting into from the quarantine. Mm. It's just cooking a lot. And so I'll take those like little shoddy videos and think I'm like on Pinterest <laughs> and whatnot, man. And I'll upload them to my Snapchat, but I'll save them to like vi- like edit those in like a video and actually put like a montage together. So yeah. I want to come out with like an actual like video of me like creating my, or cultivating my digits yeah. or whatnot. Not for anything like that, but just to kind of, document the process because i love making videos Mm -hmm. and it's super fun especially when i'm cooking oh yeah that's a really productive i guess skill to pick up during quarantine Mm. cooking i wish i could cook better my my cooking skill is just Mm. chicken (laughs) i feel like that's (laughs) it (laughs) but i've seen you you know i've Mm -hmm. seen your culinary culinary genius uh, oh i appreciate it i appreciate it man like i'm not gonna lie them culinary genius turn into culinary pounds a little bit (laughs) I gotta get I gotta get myself into some yeah like wreck activities, dude. Mm-hmm. But I will say though, it, it has like paid off. Like I'm I'm able to like whip up something mm-hmm. if like people are able to come over and entertain. So that's been pretty fun. Yeah. Or if like there's barely anything in the pantry, and be like, oh, I can make 
probably like a um, a bechamel souffle with this and mm-hmm. with a soup or something. It'd be pretty cool. What's something that you make a lot? Hmm. All right. So I have a go-to, and I love breakfast. So everybody likes to make eggs, and I feel like eggs are like super fire. Mm-hmm. But there was a Gordon Ramsay um, tutorial on how to make like very small curd like chef level eggs using okay. um creme fraiche which is this um greek like a not greek like a french cream yogurt and so i like to add that into my eggs and now i tried it once after watching the video and i kid you not it's like i had a revolution dude <laughs> like the world in my paradigm shifted i never You're wanted like to third see eyes open that's what i'm saying i never saw eggs in the same way again like once it could be cooked like that so it's pretty much just scrambled eggs but you're continuously stirring it yeah and then you add in the add butter fresh yes you add in butter, butter. At first too and yeah. it makes like this super rich creamy and uh, small curd like almost like i don't want to say like a paste but like it's just like small curd eggs and mm-hmm. it's super good and you throw some chives on that dude and that has been my breakfast for the past month yeah so i make that a lot that's <laughs> no really doubt. good a lot of people just skip breakfast too oh dude this is the most important <laughs> meal of the day man what are you talking about I'm telling you. No. But yeah, that's, I just eat cereal. <laughs> Bro, I just whip up cereal. I just get, my left hand has a box. My right hand has a milk. And I just right. mix them together. Chef. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay would be proud of me. Dude, so what's your go-to? Like cereal? Yeah. Oh, I like Frosted Flakes. Okay. I like Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. I like Honey Bunches. Ooh. Honey Bunches. Those are oh, good. Man. I didn't like them at first, but my dad... Yeah, when I was like seven. He he introduced that to me, and I yeah. was like, "Dad, you might have put me on for the rest of my <laughs> life." A man of culture, man. This is here to stay. Do you eat cereal, dude? Of course, dog. Like cereal brings me back to those times where you're growing up, just watching TV as a kid, mm. dude. So like, I don't eat it as much as I used to, just because it's like milk and some of them are a little bit, or at least the ones that I eat are a little bit too sugary. Yeah. But whenever I do. You kind of hit the nail on the head, man. Like, I love Honey Bunches of Oats because I can eat it without feeling guilty. <laughs> um, Frosted Flakes because if you pair it up with strawberries or yeah. bananas, mm-hmm. it's the dream combo. And then um, I like Cinnamon Toast Crunch as well. It's just it's sugar. A, that's what I'm saying, yeah. dude. It's just sugar <laughs> and, like, cereal. But I don't know. Like, that just tailors to the sweet tooth. So, like, if I'm feeling good, then I'll bust out a bowl of that Cinnamon Toast Crunch. But that's over, it's every once in a while, though. Yeah, you got to... You gotta restrain yourself, and too much of a good thing is not a good thing. No doubt, man. No <laughs> doubt. Like, I'll find myself cooking in the kitchen for like three hours plus, Vic, wow. to make dishes smaller than the portion of like a freaking cereal, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, just making a soup from a, this French dish. It was called a creme de champignon. It was a mushroom soup took me three and a half hours, dude, to wow. make, like, this little, like, the amount of soup that you would find in a Chef Boyardi, Chef Boyardi like, little ravioli can, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, it becomes a trade-off. Like, do I want to stay simple and just go, right. for, like, save some time, get the cereal? Or do I want to go, like, Chef Ragusea on this dish and, like, spend my entire evening in the kitchen? Right. I guess it depends. I mean, with school, mm-hmm. might not be the best use of your time, but when you have breaks or weekends... Mm-hmm. That's a time to experiment. And plus, cooking is a good way. You know, different people have different ways of relaxing. Mm-hmm. Cooking is pretty therapeutic, honestly. It's just you in the kitchen, maybe, like, following instructions off of something, but it's just you vibing there. Dude, you got it right. You got it right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, like, funny you said that, man. Because whenever I cook, 
I actually play a, um, I have a cooking playlist, and on it is a lot of uh, classical music, mm -hmm. lo-fi, and then um, instrumentals. Uh -huh. And then whenever I'm cooking, I'll just like either be freestyling or listening to some like Chopin or like Bach or something like that. And then my roommate would be like, "Dude, this ain't cooking music. What you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like. Dude, like, I don't know if, you, if you've seen Ratatouille, but, like, yeah, yeah. whenever Ratatouille eats, like, the cheese, and, like, mm -hmm. he can see, like, little visions going in yeah. the air, but, like, bro, I'm in the zone, whenever <laughs> this music is going, like, I can, like, see, like, the flavors going yeah. into the dishes and whatnot, or at least that's how I feel, so, as, it's very therapeutic, like you said, whenever I'm having, like, a break or a tough time in my day, it'll cheer me up, yeah. I'll lose myself in it, and that's why I'll spend so much time in the kitchen, mm -hmm. because it's, like you said, an escape or an oasis, I like right. it. Do you freestyle over, like, Bach? Like, I could see you freestyling over instrumental beats, but, like, Chopin or, like, oh. Beethoven or... Oh, my you, goodness. There's no way. Victor, <laughs> I freestyle over everything, dude, yeah? <laughs> how, do, how do you do that over classical piano music? So, it's about melody, man. Like, for example, like, for example one of my favorite uh, classical pieces, especially for the piano, is um, gym, it's a gymnopede number 48 i believe that's what the um classical piece is titled mm -hmm. but it's a very familiar like slow build up like it's a crescendo yeah and as long as you on the beat build into the crescendo then you can like rap oh. over anything like as long as your rhythm matches like the counts mm -hmm. of the of the piece that's playing with it yeah you can rap to anything and so it'll be funny if i'm listening to classical i'll probably throw on like a british accent and just like make myself a kiki or just like i don't know dude it's funny but i like it it expands my vocabulary and mm -hmm. then uh just keeps my brain moving just yeah it keeps it mm -hmm. sharp you gotta always be on your toes i feel ah i feel man yeah that's i'm right there mm -hmm. i'm always on that has freestyling been something you like picked up in college or is that something you've been doing since younger mm -mm. it was something i did since uh younger and freestyling was something that was very hard for me growing up, actually. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Belize, and they didn't really freestyle too much over there in, um, like, my uh, home country. It was mainly just playing sports and kind of playing video games. But when I came to America, the um, culture that I was diverse in, the culture I was um, submersed in was in a central, like, Katy, Cyprus area. Yeah. And it was a lot of trap music like a uh, zero like chopped and screwed stuff mm -hmm. and so a lot of the um culture was to cipher and freestyle with your friends mm -hmm. and so me being a brother i'm like i didn't free like i didn't freestyle i had no yeah. rhythm victor like i couldn't rap for my life i couldn't put together a um rhyming si uh, sentence mm -hmm. and then i would get into like cyphers with some of my friends like we would get into each other's like uh, cars or like we'd go to over to each other's crib to hang out yeah and then a beat would come on and then one person will start rapping, the next person will start rapping, and then it turns into a cypher. And the rules of a cypher is that everybody in the group has to go. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are, but you gotta go. Yeah. And so it's like a test of courage, man. Like right. I was terrified the first time I ciphered. And let me tell you, I was trash, man. I'm talking about <laughs> your like my name is Bailey. Um, I'm eating hot and spicies. Daily, uh, like very, like very monotone, yeah, yeah. robotic flows, right? Uh -huh. But it's just the theory of repetition. The mm -hmm. more you do something, the better you get at it. So yeah. every time I would be with my friends, beat would come on, cipher would come on, and just naturally, I'm a very outgoing and expressive person. Yeah. And so I, whenever I was in the group, 
it's Cypress. It's like downtown. It's like Central Houston. Mm-hmm. You was getting roasted if you didn't put together nice <laughs> bars, bro. Like I could tell you of times I was been like low key bullying, but it's like no, you got to pick up and just pick up your straps, yeah. and then you go on to the next cipher, mm-hmm. and then eventually. I was able to put together flows, and then eventually I was able to become one of the best rappers in my group. Mm -hmm. And then it became something that I grew passionate about because I realized how difficult of an art it is to master. I mean, that's touching on a whole different subject of a rap game right now, but it's not easy to put together like poetic, like uh, rhythmic structures Mm -hmm. in an intelligent way. On the fly, too. On the fly, exactly. So people who are able to realize that freestyle spirit, like a free freestyle spirit, like a, a one person I like to say is Lil Dicky. Like even though he's very comedic, it's very intelligent the things that this man says. Mm-hmm. So it's a skill that I'm very passionate about and that I've taken all throughout my life, and it's it's the reason why I tried to rap at some of the uh, talent shows here in college. <laughs> it's the reason why I try to rap in like uh, whenever I present myself and whenever I'm by myself and just thinking about like a. Um, what I could be doing. I'm either freestyling or making something rhyme in my head. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I've actually never heard anyone kind of describe freestyling and ciphers the way you did. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, especially the fact that you've kept it up this long, I think it's so cool that you weren't forced to do Well, you might have been forced to do it in the beginning, mm-hmm. but like right now it's all you. Like yeah. this is something that you care a lot about. And even if somebody wasn't on your tail about like you need to do this or you need to get better mm-hmm. like you yourself want to get better at that yeah and that's so cool especially like music i love music so much creating music um doesn't have to be good but it's just like a different way of expressing yourself mm-hmm. you know and i play piano a lot of people have asked me you know like why piano over like some other instruments and i love how with piano you can connect you like you can control you control the left hand and right hand Mm-hmm. So you can you control the melody and the bass. You have like full autonomy over what gets played. You can make it sound super super hype. You can make it sound super super chill. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like freestyling is, is the same way. You kind of pick your own words um, or like any any sort of beat. You can you can like deliver the same message, but it, it sounds different because of like the track you have it on. Exactly, man. That's the beauty of like music, like you said. It's just something that you have autonomy over. Music isn't defined by one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love freestyling because it fits together with any four measure beat mm-hmm. of rhythm or five measure beat of that in that case. But like you said, man, freestyling, you can freestyle over any track. You can play piano to any beat. Mm-hmm. It's music transcends like different cultures, like languages and stuff like that and that's why it's something that i find resonates so strongly with me especially as a um, minority just because i could read a sheet of music and then play that music it doesn't matter where you come from what you've learned you are going to hear the exact same thing that the person next to you is hearing mm-hmm. and it could be the most beautiful thing that y'all both have ever heard mm-hmm. so it's cool man I-, I love how you brought up the um how you control the notes that you play in piano Mm-hmm. that's really cool man and you're a very musical person like you're a very musical <laughs> guy like you said like I could remember very like this like I could depict moments where I remember you like playing a super like hype beat when we were like <laughs> in a fish camp like having a rap battle with um some of our other counselors or you playing like some super somber beautiful melodic piece mm-hmm. that 
completely takes the attention of what anybody's doing and puts it on the music, man. It's mm -hmm. so cool how you do that. Yeah. No, it's so fun. I One of my favorite memories, I think, from Fish Camp was with Camp Vavra. There was one night where there was a piano in the purple room. Mm -hmm. And we were just playing. Like, I, I just decided to play on it. And couple, like, it was in the back of the room behind a couple of banners. And little by little, some freshmen and some counselors that kept going over and over. And I was playing, like, these pop songs, and people were just singing. And they had their, like, phone flashlights on. They are waving it. And I was like, dang, this, this is a good life. Like, I could care less about all these people, you know, around, like, surrounding me. I just like the fact that everyone is kind of singing. They don't care how bad or good they are. They're just singing with me. You know, they're singing with each other. They're, like, swaying in unison. That type of, like, how music brings people together, I love that so much. And that's why I love piano so much. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. And you had mentioned earlier, too, about, um, you know, as, like, a minority and, like, expressing yourself with through music. Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about um, kind of growing up as a minority and yeah. what, what that was like like specifically with you as like a kindergartner mm -hmm. all the way through high school and now here in college. Yeah. So I'm glad you broke it up like that because that's how I want to structure it. So it was different. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Oh, I'm just going to get, get off the bat. Very different because I don't want to, I'm, I'm a very humble man and I don't want to say that my case is unique per se, because everybody's unique in their own way. But I'm, I don't fit the very stereotypical black minority of America because I immigrated from a different country like in my youth. So I had this constant battle whenever I was very young as an age of a kindergartner, whenever I transitioned in, into America as if I'm Caribbean or if I'm black, mm -hmm. just because I'm dark-skinned doesn't have to mean that I'm only one type of black. There's a lot of different ethnicities within the race. Right. And sometimes Caribbean culture isn't accepted as fondly within black culture as it might, as, uh, as people might assume in America. Just, for example, the street that I grew up in was um, in Cyprus. This was whenever I moved to Houston for the first time, and I was around seven years old, and attending a kindergarten, about to go into first grade. Mm -hmm. I was the only black and Caribbean individual living on that street, and the entire rest of the neighborhood was either Caucasian or Hispanic. Now, I didn't really feel like I was ostracized from the people in the neighborhood, but we did start to realize very fast that whenever we came outside, people would kind of pack up very fast and dart eyes with us. They wouldn't really talk to our family. It was only our immediate neighbors that were hospitable towards us. And we, got, we actually keep in touch with them to this day. Mm -hmm. But that's what we realized off the bat. And it was weird because racism doesn't really exist that prominently in Belize. You see, man, like everybody's black. Like everybody's like going through it. Right. So you come over here. And witnessing it for the first time as a little kid, you, you become very confused. Yeah. So I'm over here thinking, like, why are these people, like, ostracizing me and thinking that I'm African-American? I'm not even from this country. And so I grew up having to 
have that identity of, or at least I had to find my identity within the African-American community just from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. It kind of fit in with um, the Cypress story we were talking about a little bit, but just the rap, the hip hop culture is big in African-American community. And that's something that I was able to pick up on as an immigrant. They don't, they were like, there's, there's hip hop music is not the trend in Belize. It's a lot of soca, reggaeton, and then um, reggae music is in the Caribbean. It was my first time hearing Drake, Big Sean, like Lil mm -hmm. Wayne, whenever I was um, a little kid here in America. But that's what allowed me to have my in with some of the individuals in my community that looked like me. They weren't some from the same place as me, but at least they were able to relate to the um, indifferences that people of darker skin face in America. Right. So that's how I started to kind of get my feel for the Afri African American community and just like how to be in a, mi a minority in America at a very young age. And then in high school, it was a, it was a, a really big defining moment for me. That's where I had to make a decision as to do I need to completely divulge into the African American community or do I have to separate myself and claim to be an African American like Caribbean? It's two completely different cultures that don't share the necessarily same ideals, but I'm out here living like a double life. Mm -hmm. So in high school, I felt like, dude, like I felt like an imposter, man. Like I'm not even playing. Mm -hmm. Like I felt sus because I'm over here speaking slang and ghetto terms that a lot of the um, African-Americans here in America kind of like um, practice. And stuff that I wouldn't even say back in Belize that's looked down upon by people in my culture. And then I go back to Belize, and then I look at the stuff we're doing over here as African Americans, and I'm like, that's not what we should kind of be doing. I mean, mm -hmm. for like just one, like just to give a, a glimpse into one of the strifes within um, Caribbean and Af African American culture that I'm picking up on has been the riots that have kind of foreplayed during the presidential election, I don't want to get too like polarizing here, but just talking about where Caribbeans see African-Americans burning down buildings and whenever Caribbeans don't understand why that's happening, they can prejudice that and they can mock that and they can kind of pick that apart. So people who aren't living in America that are of color, could see these things on the news, not know about racism, not know about the like microaggressions here, mm -hmm. and they could see that as, oh, all black people in America are terrorists. Yeah. And then African Americans can see Caribbeans in a third world country situation, mm -hmm. and immediately if you hear a Jamaican accent or a Islander accent, you start thinking about socioeconomic status, mm -hmm. and you start thinking about just how different and over-sexualized the culture is. Yeah. That's what I've been able to kind of see in my role of a unique perspective as an Afro-Caribbean as of right now. But <clears throat> to kind of tie back into the transition from high school into college, it became a point of defining who I was. And at the end of the day, I am a very humble and family-driven man. So I stay true to my roots and throughout my entire high school like career, I would always say, nope, I'm black. 
I'm from America, I'm American. But it was only after I graduated high school that I started claiming where I was from. I started taking pride that, yeah, I'm different. Yes, I am an immigrant, but it's okay. Like, that doesn't make me less of a person. That doesn't make me more of a person either. So I started saying, my name is Michael Bailey and I am from Placencia, Belize, because that's, that's where I went, that's where I actually am from. Yeah. And it became a acceptance of my identity. And coming into college was a very, very important aspect in my life, Vic, because it allowed me to realize that difference and racism is all going to be in the eye of the individual who is perceiving that. It is not something that transcends like person to person merely through just like genetics or whatnot mm -hmm. it's something that is taught and i was able to meet people here who was able to truly see me for who i truly am and not really they were able to look past that oh yeah he's black yeah he's an immigrant no they actually saw me for a person yeah. and that solidified my faith that it's okay to be yourself like it's okay to own where you're from because, yes, we do live in a world where some people may ostracize you from it, but we do live in a world where other people will accept you for that. And it's, it takes courage. That's, that's, that's kind of like my main takeaway, is that throughout this entire process of me growing and accepting to be black, is that it takes courage, and courage takes vulnerability, uh, vulnerability in order to act on, or in order to be, like, implemented right. Yeah. So... Just being, being proud or not proud, but confident in where I was from and not ashamed of my color and mm -hmm. the necessary heritage that sticks with it and right. rather, rather to be proud of it. Yeah. I think your, your story kind of aligns with mine in a little bit because growing up, I definitely experienced very like, microaggression type mm -hmm. behavior I didn't really know about and I just assumed you know the way I saw somebody else like they would see me the same exact way but even in first grade I remember kids coming up to me and just doing that thing where they space their eyes out to make it really small with their fingers mm -hmm. they come up to me and be like am I you right now and I was so confused I was like are my eyes really like that yeah <laughs> um and obviously that's not true for every Asian or every Chinese person you know mm -hmm. But as even as a first grader, like I experienced small things like that. And then in high school, I used to be really self-conscious, not like ashamed of my race at all. But I was just very self-conscious of the fact that people here probably see me as an Asian first before a person. They don't see me as an Asian. They, they don't see me as a student here. They don't see me as, you know, Victor. They see me as, oh, this person is not the majority. And making the decision to come to A&M, obviously I'm sure you've heard so many stories about minorities aren't accepted here or you're not going to find a home here because people are racist here. Mm -hmm. And that's so far from the truth. I think every university you're going to find good people and bad people. Mm -hmm. But I've definitely met my fair share of good people here who kind of, they might not know what it's like to be a minority but they definitely aren't willing to put up with people who treat minorities that way i agree so just wondering you know 
coming to A&M, did you ever have that kind of fear of what if I don't get accepted here? How do people see me? No, dude. Oh, big time, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. No cap. It's funny that you uh, that you brought that up because I realized something that the very same people that were telling me that, oh, A&M is racist, they won't accept you, are the same people who don't even know what a, a thing about A&M in the first place is. Yeah. I had homies from back in Cyprus telling me this who have never even Google searched A&M in their life. All they know is that it is a predominantly white institution, and so they threw their negative stigma on it. And I can say, and I can say, Victor, you are so like on the truth, man. When you're talking about people here are willing to accept you, and that broke that stigma for me. Yeah. And that's why I'm so glad I came to A&M, mm-hmm. because it's like you said, people will tell you that oh, they won't accept you there. There, there is this this mindset, this type of mindset. But by actually going into the thick of it mm-hmm. and disproving that statement, not only am I able to get the takeaway that, yeah, they were wrong about A&M, but, dude, they're wrong about, like, the entire society as a general. Like, if you go in with the presumption that people aren't going to like you just because you look different, then you've already shot yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. You've got to give them the chance to show you that they're able to accept you as a person because if you put up your barrier first, then how are you ex- willing to make that connection with the person? So exactly. that's what I was able to learn here by mingling and meeting so many opening and like so many um, people who are progressive and suit, like accepting yeah. of like what you said. They saw Victor. They saw me first rather than a minority. Yeah. And that's not to say... Everybody here is perfect, or everybody mm-hmm. here thinks that way. Oh, no, true that. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> There's definitely that. been times where sometimes I just question myself again. I'm not as firm. I mean, I'm not as shaky as I was in the past. I can brush, this thing, brush those things off. Mm-hmm. But the people that I at least surround myself with, I know they're, they're good people. And they don't, they don't think any less of me because of the way I look or where my family's from. That's good. You know? So... I think that's definitely something I always find interesting because um, I feel like a lot of my friends are white and I guess growing up I always there's this term called whitewashed that you know I would hear people describe sometimes they describe me as that (laughs) and I don't honestly don't know like if that's a good thing or not I don't see myself as I don't pick my friends based off of the way they look. I don't pick my friends based off of, you know, their appearance or anything. Mm-hmm. I pick my friends based off of, like, the similar values and interests. They, somebody could be, like, I could be in a room with, like, 100 Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And if all of them don't line up with me, pers- like, personality-wise, or they, you know, we don't agree with something personality-wise, like, I don't care they look the same way I'm not going to be around with them just because they look like me Mm -hmm. and the same goes with people like other minorities or even um like white people I'm not going to just harp on others just because of their appearance I I think that's something that I definitely learned while in college was it doesn't matter who your friends are like what they look like it just matters like do they make you better do you know do they push you to become a better person that's definitely something that I've had to learn to Except even if like people back home might think, oh, Victor's friends with so many white people. He's so whitewashed or whatever. Like I don't care what 
those people have to say think like I care what my friends think so it's a good perspective man I'm actually glad you shared that dude whitewash is such a big like dilemma in the <laughs> community bro yeah. oh my goodness because I feel like you were narrating my life just now <laughs> Victor I've always been like an over like overgo and like um overachieving like outgoing dude and in doing so I was able to make a lot of friends but I would always get the term like oh you're whitewashed because some of the friends that I did have were Caucasian and I don't know I feel like it plays a different tone within the black community because hearing the term whitewashed is like saying in the most respectful way is like oh you're not one of us you're yeah. one of them yeah. and that that hurts as yeah. that hurts as a minority so I would get that but the thing is I would I would start to realize that I would only I would only get this term here in whitewash from people who I don't really consider my friends so mm -hmm. why should I care right like I it doesn't matter like you said as long as you surround yourself with good people who have good intentions and good values mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you look like I've, I've noticed that I've, as I've aged and grown mentally and matured that some of my friends I've made in Cyprus of color the things that we used to do like in high school weren't the most productive like you're not gonna lie is some narcotic stuff like just going out doing like hood rat shit dude yeah. like and I'm over here starting to plan out my career and making friends with people who are doing the same thing who are very successful who are getting internships who are loving on their family members and who are also inviting their friends to podcasts. So I like I honestly don't care if somebody who is still acting like a high schooler calls me whitewashed. Yeah. If I'm eventually going to be landing a career with friends around me that love me. Cause at the end of the day, like your community is the people who you surround yourself with, not not what you look like, not what you affiliate with. That's you you choose your community at the end of the day, and you want your community to be people that are picking you up, not bringing you down. Exactly. You mentioned how you said the quote about you're not one of us, you're one of them. Mm -hmm. That I've not gotten that directly, but I can definitely relate to that, mm -hmm. and. Kind of my response whenever I hear that, or at least in my head, I think I'm never going to go back on like what my family, like the past however many years we've been around, mm -hmm. I'm never just going to toss that away. That, that stuff is important to me. Um, but I think especially as a minority going to like a predominantly white school or like even going to a predominantly like white high school that I went to, um, part of the beauty of, of being a minority is that you get to experience two different worlds at the same time. Mm -hmm. And my parents would tell me, you know, I have this, I guess, Chinese culture I come home to every single day. Like, that's always a constant in my life. Mm -hmm. But then I also have this other culture. I'm exposed to so many different people during the day, whether it was in high school or even now, that I get kind of the best of both worlds. I get to see things from two different lenses. And a lot of people mm -hmm. don't have that like viewpoint that I have because they either grew up in like the, we just didn't grow up in the same household or, or same background. So yep. I think it, you don't have to be completely one sided, like pick one side. 
we're kind of in this in in between area, this gray area, and I think that's a really nice place to be, honestly. Yeah. So that's a really nice way to put it. Like I haven't really thought about it like that, to be honest with you. But that's a very intriguing way. That's a very intriguing way to think mm-hmm. about the cultural similarities that we share in America, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. But and Man, that was, I'm a little mind blown because the story that you, um, that you talked about transferring from a PWI high school and a college and seeing the benefits that they actually produce mm-hmm. is so pertinent to my life, Victor. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been times where I've taken the skills I've learned from building community and beliefs because that's one of the biggest things is... Um, building community like i talked to you about food just now mm-hmm. and one of the big reasons i love cooking is because cooking is a big big deal in uh grit in the cur in the car yeah <laughs> you speak right now <laughs> in the caribbeans because if you can't cook then that's like having no clout that's like having <laughs> negative clout like if yeah. you can't cook with all this tropical stuff and eat ingredients around you then you're just you're just not putting in effort <laughs> right so you got to know how to cook and it's a big thing that brings people together in Belize. Mm-hmm. So cooking is a way that you show affection. It's a way that you show that you trust somebody. And it's um, very well how you make new acquaintances. So if I were to meet a um, manager or a boss for, for the first time, I would bake them a fresh bun or a um, nice loaf of bread, probably with some fish yeah. or a meal and invite them over for dinner or whatnot. And that's how you make your first impression. Mm-hmm. And Coming over here to America, it's so cool to see people react like fondly to that tradition. It's just not something that they do here. Exactly. It's not something that people at least capitalize on. I mean, I love cooking for my friends. I love like making big deals about hosting and being a good like hostess mm-hmm. and being and, like having a good mediating spirit that a lot of people um, that don't or aren't used to that, they appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And so it's allowed me to succeed in like roles where they're not used to people looking out for their community. Mm-hmm. So in very high, like sales, comp- like sales, um, like for example, like just uh, my sales internship, they're not used to people coming in very like good attitudes, building up the relationships with their coworkers, trying yeah. to go out and get a bite to eat after after you get off the clock. What? No, <laughs> what? Are you trying to be friends? Yeah. Like. That's what's encouraged in Belize, and that's what is, it, it, it propels me for success here in America. So it's a little bit of the best of both worlds. Because yeah. if I were to use the skill back in Belize, that's not me being special. That's me yeah. being run of the mill, yeah. Victor. Like, you cook your family, like, I'm talking five-course dinner, like that's chicken, salad. That's expected, dude, by, yeah. like, age six, seven. <laughs> like, I remember knowing how to perfectly debone a chicken by the age <laughs> of eight. I wow. kid you not. <laughs> Like, they put you in the kitchen and they make you work, man. Yeah. So, it's a really cool, like, transfer of values yeah. that you can see that something that isn't taken as seriously, probably in one culture, yeah. can be seen as a blessing in another light. So, and you teach mm-hmm. the people around you, too. Like, you're learning from them, but they're also learning from you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You kind of talked about building relationships with like your coworkers, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know we talked about this many different times, 
But being an ENFJ male, <laughs> you, you know I had to go there with the Myers-Briggs personality test. Yes. Um, ENFJ, I mean, it stands for extroverted, feeling, intuitive, and judging. Mm-hmm. And I did, a, I did a little research on this when I was, I mean, I still am a little bit into, I guess, this personality thing. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly I'd say I think it's like 70% or 80% are females yeah like there's very little males and it's mostly because females typically at least according to this test are the more feeling types of people and more I guess extroverted and more like extroverted about their feelings they're Mm -hmm. not afraid to express them out to people Um, they're just that's like the main portion of it yeah so I wanted to ask you kind of growing up were you always open about your feelings? And if so, like, I'm sure you felt weird about it because that's not what society tells us we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So just talk about that, I guess. Yeah. So I did a lot of reflection on where my personality kind of came from because to be completely honest with you, Victor, um, it's, it puzzles me to be honest with you because as a kid growing up, I was almost completely opposite from the way I am right now. <laughs> if you were to meet me at the age of, let's say, six, seven, or eight, yeah. I was probably going through a transitional phase or something because I was introverted as hell, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't make eye contact with anybody. Yeah. I rarely would speak. And then I wouldn't consider myself, like, a super funny person, but I can crack a few jokes. Whenever I would try to make people laugh, like, whenever I was younger and growing up, I would completely clam up and cry. I, I, I'm not even playing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even playing, uh-huh. dude. And so, honestly, Victor, I think I just got tired of it, dude. Like, I, I'm, it, it came to a point because my entire family, if you had to put them on, like, a um, version, like, introverted spectrum, they're all E's. All of them yeah. are E's, dude. Like, uh-huh. if you go to a family function, they're all yelling. That's why I'm telling you they're always up until 3 a.m. <laughs> Everybody in my family is extroverted, and that is held true, like, ever, like, to the farthest line of um, generation that I can actually um, test for. But whenever I was young, I would always be asked by my family, like, why are you so quiet, or why you don't do anything, or why are you always by yourself? Mm-hmm. And it was, like, frustrating because I didn't know why, and... A lot of self-reflection, man, I think it's because I grew up very isolated as an only child. So whenever we immigrated to America, my parents had to work a lot. And I don't have any, um, I don't have any um, blood brothers or sisters, but I would have to stay at home like for a long, for long periods of time. And growing up, you don't mess around in the house or else you get in your ass, like, like ass beat. Like I'm talking (laughs) like, like... Nah, I'm not talking about, like, no bell, bro. Like, just know you can getting your eyes. Yeah. So, I was a good kid growing up, but I was very quiet because I kept to myself and I had to entertain myself. Right. So, honestly, Victor, what I attested to is I was alone for so long that I grew so bored and so tired of just doing nothing that I came up with the idea that if I can entertain myself, then it doesn't matter how long I am by myself. It doesn't matter how yeah. long I am how long I am without anybody else because I'll always have the company of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Like as pessimistic and as lonesome <laughs> as that sounds, dude. But that was those your mindset. Are, yeah. Those are the mindsets as, as me as a kid, man, just cuz I didn't have a lot of interaction with people and kind of saying as an immigrant, I wasn't able to make a lot of friends very fast. Yeah. So 
in, uh, in like very easily stating I, I was kind of like the outcast growing up I don't want to like glamorize it or anything like that but j like honestly speaking I did not have a lot of friends growing up and it forced me to come out of my shell yeah. because seeing how extroverted my family was mm -hmm. and my father especially was it forced me to ask myself those pinnacle questions like why don't I why am I not as engaged with anybody else and stuff like that and it boils down to me being an only child see my my relatives or at least my um, my father my father and mother come from big families eight and then nine siblings wow. from my mother's side yep very big very big I'm telling you Caribbeans they like to get it on <laughs> so me coming to America I'm an only child and I don't have that brotherly like like and sisterly like strife in the household that's always caused me to come out of my shell I'm just staying with by myself and to be honest with you my parents even admitted with this they didn't know how to address that because they were always used to like a busy household. Yeah. They just have this like one boy who just sits in his room all day playing Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> so by enforcing, by having me to force come out of my shell, Vic, I would always keep that like voice inside my head. I would, I would find ways to entertain myself, whether it be, and the biggest thing I am, um, what it was, would be talking to myself. And yeah. I want to I want to state for the record I'm completely sane, but <laughs> but I talk to myself probably more than a lot of people you will ever meet in your life, mm -hmm. just because I've been doing it from a very young age. And Victor, uh, my um, roommate, will even attest that I've had monologues and entire conversations, jokes, hour long di <laughs> like dialogues going back and forth with myself yeah. because it helps me process my thoughts better. If I don't have anybody to talk to, talking to myself is the next best option. Yeah. And by doing that, I became a better communicator and I was able to like say sentences more confidently because yeah. they were coming from my own voice. I wasn't double doubting myself yeah. about the things I was saying. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm a pretty wacky and zany, or at least I consider myself a kind of out there individual. So whenever I would get into those like high popular like i'm at the popular table or whatnot i would just say the first thing that comes to my mind and sometimes it's either very head-ass or it's very clever because i like academics and then i just kind of say what comes <laughs> to my mind and that kind of just went out to become my extroverted super outgoing like um jokingly per personality but at the heart of it it's i would always consider myself i started off as an introvert because that's how I recharge yeah. and that's how I've, I've noticed how I recharge is that mm -hmm. I just take time by myself and even though I have a large connection a large network the best way for me to restore my sanity is actually by myself yeah calming myself down with my own words because that's what I've been doing ever since like from a young age mm -hmm. but becoming an ENFJ it's interesting because that the extroversion came from me breaking out of my shell as at a, as a child like forcefully mm -hmm. and then the f like j the feeling and judgment part i believe comes from those like long extended periods of isolation mm -hmm. where only thing i was doing was with my thoughts yeah. and kind of making sure that i was good because mm -hmm. if i wasn't good then there's nobody else for me to check <laughs> on so i yeah. had to make sure that my emotions were always in check and whatnot and by doing so, I love to make sure that the emotions of other people's of other people are in check. So, yeah. that's how I've like kind of put it together as a shaping yeah. shaping together. Like, just started off as a very quiet child, breaking out of the shell, man, and mm -hmm. really sticking with that <laughs> and sticking with it until it uh, until it breaks, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. <clears throat> 
that is very opposite from how I feel like I've gone through my whole, I feel like I, my whole life I've been very much, very, like super extroverted as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was, I can't imagine a time when I was introverted at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as I've gone, like grown up, I've appreciated like being introverted more. Mm-hmm. I definitely see the value in everything you said where, you know, we love being around people, but at the end of the day, if we're by ourselves and we're recharging, I don't want anyone with me. Yes. I don't want to talk to anyone. Like, I prefer talking to myself. I do that sometimes, like, right now, mm-hmm. where I'll just be like, okay, Victor, like, what is your plan for today? Or, oh, Victor, like, how, like, let's let's break down how you're feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And, like, let's unpack that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely moments where I like being by myself, but I think personality-wise, like, I definitely enjoy being around lots of people. Um, and especially, like, the feeling mm-hmm. part is very open with my emotions. Um, I always thought that I was weird because I was around, I, I was on the baseball team when I was in high school, and mm-hmm. people don't just talk about that. Or, like, whenever people talk about that, it's always shot down, like, oh, like, let's change the subject, right? <laughs> As you get older, you realize so then, that's how you bring people together is, like, having those types of conversations. Yeah. You can only go surface level for so much. For me, if we have a surface level for conversation that goes on for like an hour, I'm exhausted because I'm doing everything I can to not go beyond that. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't want the other person to feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So if the other person's comfortable doing surface level, I'll do surface level with them, but I probably don't want to have another conversation with them <laughs> afterwards because I'm like, I'm sorry, like our personality just won't mesh and like that's just how it is. Yeah, man. That's really like, um, that's insightful that you said that. The um, amount of awareness that you have to have when talking to people, mm-hmm. when it comes to like that, um, like, like depth of conversation, mm-hmm. it's very important, and it's something that I resonate with like very highly because I like I love to go deep. Like honestly, I go deep with like myself. Like every time, like I'll, I'll go into like deep thought at least once a day. Like think about global crises that are like happening and whatnot. And I love discussing that with people. So if it's like like a friend I've been like super cool with and we're able to like go like, hey, you want to talk about the theory of like black holes and dark matter? <laughs> Dude, let's go, man. Yeah. And so it's super cool. I like getting like theoretical in a conversation like that. But you mentioned a point about how if a conversation goes on for surface level too long, then you're, you're not going to want to have a conversation again. Yeah. I feel as if... I try to accommodate for the other people's feelings. So, yeah. like, I try to mirror what their conversation style is mm-hmm. to make them feel as comfortable as possible. Yeah. But in reality, I'm sacrificing my own comfort because my value, my need for harmony, my need for, like, making that person, like, feel accepted and welcome is put over my own. And so I get, like, worn out. At the end of the conversation, we're over here talking about, oh, I'm in this major. I did this. External the weather's nice today. Weather's nice today. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can keep it up for a little bit, but at the end of the day, like you said, Victor, I come home, I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And I did, I, did, I did not retain anything yeah. because my brain is more interested in the like inner mechanisms of people. Like what makes you think as a person? What makes yeah. you, what wakes you up in the day? What keeps you motivated? Because those are the things that I find, I find interesting and I, at least, I think people would want to talk about is what's behind the meaning. Like, what's, what's the bigger meaning behind exactly. things? But 
again, there's nothing wrong with just sticking on surface level. Right. I just can't do it for too long. Right, no. And I think because, yeah. like, we're big people pleasers. We want the other person, like you said, to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But if we're making them feel comfortable at our expense, mm -hmm. and it's something that we're just kind of not programmed to do, like, there just comes a breaking point where we're just going to have to, like, leave the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's not a bad thing, too. Um, I definitely understand there's a certain, like, everyone has that level of comfort with people. They might not share something super personal right away. And, like, that's totally fine. Um, but I think for us, like, if, if we're just, if it's surface level over and over again, like, repeatedly, we just need to <laughs> remove ourselves <laughs> from the situation. Yeah, dog. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. I remember talking to you that about being an ENFJ. We were, like, mm -hmm driving to i don't even know, like office max or something we were picking something oh, up yeah and i forgot what brought it up it was like mm -hmm. raining and we were in a car and we just i just i think i asked sauce about it and he was just like mind blown and we realized damn we're really similar <laughs> there's a lot of overlap personality wise with us i think yeah. it's awesome heck yeah mm -hmm. dude i'm not gonna lie um whenever I found out you were an ENFJ, it made so much sense because I would always consider you like highly aware, like highly emotionally intelligent, Victor. Like that's one thing I pride you on, dude. Mm -hmm. Because I remember a like very specific situation that there was like vibes and like something was said in a Fishco meeting whenever we were counselors one time, man. And one of the counselors took it the wrong way and nobody else picked it up except for Victor. Everybody else went on like doing their tasks, kind of just going on to the next DG session or whatnot. But you took the time out of your day to actually go console that person. I think it was Danielle. And you actually, like, went to go talk to them, and it was a bigger problem that we didn't even realize. Mm -hmm. So it let me know that you're in tune, and you're able to, you have that skill, that drive, like, to pick up on what other people are feeling and empathize with them. And that's a big, mm -hmm. like, builder for like people pleasing and whatnot and that's why i always think like you're successful where you go with your yeah. like career and whatnot dude because bro wherever you're gonna go people are gonna love you dude. i hope so <laughs> yes i hope so yeah i feel like i mean i i guess i'd like to consider myself pretty emotionally aware of the people around me mm -hmm. i i think it might play into the fact that i just overthink a lot of things and so somebody does something like somebody i'm used to seeing for like three months and then all of a sudden the next day they do something that's a bit different than what they've been doing mm -hmm. for the past three months i'm just going to pick up on it i'm be like this person's not acting how they normally are you know even if it's just the way they said hi like that's it they said in a different tone yeah like what's wrong with them sometimes you know something might not be wrong with them and i'm just overthinking but sometimes you know something else is happening and I don't, I don't know, I guess it's, it's a nice, I guess, superpower to have. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about your, mm -hmm. your passions. I know you love videography, like photography, all that. Um, you touched on it very briefly, but I would mm -hmm. like, love to know more about why you like that so much. Dude, so it really ties into my drive to build community and videography as well as music and just anything in the arts mm -hmm. gives you the mean to do that and it crosses any cultural barrier yeah it does play on my mind daily that i'm a minority 
and that some things I, I'm not allowed to say, there's some things that I can say, and I have to live my life differently. However, in the realms of the arts, I'm able to do what I want, say what I want, and nobody is going to look at you or judge you differently because the way that you craft or create a five-act story of a video and you bring somebody to that video climax and then at the end you have them in an emotional state of tears, mm -hmm. that feeling doesn't just pertain to one culture. That spans the entire globe. It's, it's just something that anybody can yeah. see. It's a, it's a human experience. It's why I love to put so much time and passion into making stuff like videography, music, the arts, mm -hmm. dancing, things like I can express myself without being titled down as black. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I'm most attracted to and I, I love to excel in mm -hmm. because there's no room for racism. There's no room for discrimination. I love that. What, what age were you when you realized you were interested in this? Uh, I want to say like around 15, mm -hmm. just because that's when I really got into like my transition to like my creative, productive creative like zone. Mm -hmm. And it was off of my Mac. It was like off of a 2016 MacBook Air, dude. Yeah. And every MacBook Air comes installed with uh, two programs, iMovie and then GarageBand. GarageBand. Yep. Yep. yep, exactly. And so... If you are just like a random 16-year-old that doesn't have too much acumen on software, you probably have never heard of these apps in your life, especially if you're on an Android, <laughs> being me, <laughs> like, on some stuff. And so I opened up GarageBand, and then it looked so weird. I've never seen anything like it in my life. It's a, it's a beat-making program, and... Opening it up and having no, I, I didn't even know what making beats was. I had no clue what it was. And so I shut it off like in the next 30 seconds. And then the following week I came back to it. And then I added on to it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Until eventually I had this program that I didn't even know was a thing. I didn't even know beat making was a thing. But I was making songs and music and pretty good rhythm on this um like rudimentary program, all self-taught, like just from screwing around. It wasn't perfect, but it did give me a springboard into what I liked to do and what I liked to excel at because putting together four measure beats, mm -hmm. putting in a hi-hat together and making it all cohesive like with a sub bass, it could be easy to some, but not to everybody else. And it, it's something that I like to express my works in. Taking that and then applying it to iMovie, I opened that up. I had no idea what the thing was. But I figured if I found a lot of love in GarageBand by making beats, let me just see what iMovie's about. And I figured out it was a video editing software. And then about two years later, I ended up purchasing like the $300 Pro version for um, Final Cut Pro. That's what I've been using. But at the time, it was a huge expense because I bought it when I was a senior in high school. $300 is not easy to come by as a senior yeah. in high school and I have my, my parents raising eyebrows. However, I've created commercials, um, regional winning documentaries, yeah. and then rap videos, several rap videos off of that same program. So it has wow. easily paid back what a slight tinker just like kind of did, like just a, a, a whimsical click 
on an application that was free on my laptop turned into a hobby that I'm continuing into my career like as of right now. So that's when I knew it gravitated towards the arts mm -hmm. of like non-discriminatory expression yeah. because these were things I'm able to excel in but people that are listening or viewing my art don't know I'm black. Yeah. I don't have to say I'm black. I don't have to say what race I am. I don't have to say where I'm from. Yeah. You're just envisioning the art and if you like it, you like it. Yeah. So that's what I'm really attracted to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the fact that you're willing to pay 300 bucks, especially like senior year in high school. I'm sure my parents would have been like, are you, sure, are you making the right decision? <laughs> you sure you don't want to save this for something else? Yep. But it's cool that it's evolved into this thing that you're still continuing on today. And it, like it comes from within like the drive. Mm -hmm. Like like I mentioned before, like you want to do this. You want to make this happen. You want to make this as good as you can. You don't need like a private lesson teacher like making sure you're following up, doing everything. Or even your parents mm -hmm. to text you every day, hey, make sure you do this. Like mm -hmm. you'll make time for this even if you're super tired. Heck yeah. Even whenever, you know, you've had a full day's of work. I think that's always awesome to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For me it was kind of it was like piano. Like my parents forced me to play piano my whole life. <laughs> nice. and, and then I, I stopped because yeah. I didn't really like it. And they were like, as long as you pick up another instrument in, in middle school, you're allowed to quit piano. Yeah. So I picked flute. But then midway through high school, I was just like, I kind of miss, I kind of miss playing the piano. But mm -hmm. this time it was all on my own. Yeah. And finally, this past May, I purchased my, my own keyboard. Nice. It was probably about 200 bucks, but mm -hmm. I was just like, I love piano too much. My par I didn't even tell my parents I bought it. I just bought the keyboard on my own. Yeah. And I play that all the time. Like when I'm sad, when I'm tired, um, whenever I'm stressed out, whenever I'm waiting for a class to start, mm -hmm. my parents don't have to tell me, hey, Victor, make sure you practice 30 minutes today. Mm -hmm. I'll just make that time on my own. And it's paid huge dividends. It's made me happy too, which I think yeah. is the most important thing. Like you find joy in your art creation, I find joy in my own. So I think that's that's like the main goal with everything is as long as it makes you happy. Of course, man. And you brought a uh, you brought a really good point up too is that you said that the music made you happy even after a long day, man. Mm -hmm. That is the same exact way I feel about um playing guitar. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I took that same exact route you took with piano. Yeah. But with um guitar, instead of going to flute, I went to guitar. <clears throat> like. I played piano like ever since I was a kid and my parents forced me to go to lessons. Yeah. They forced me to play it and I would try to play bad on purpose. <laughs> so they like they'd pull me out of class. Yeah. But at the end of the day they're like at middle school like, around middle school they're like, "All right, do you really want to quit?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not really feeling it." And they told me like, "Okay, but you 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 have to you have to be involved in some musical thing." Mm -hmm. And so middle school I joined percussion. I did um drums uh the Karimbas or yeah, marimbas. Mar yep, marimbas. Uh -huh. And then um what was that other thing? There's a xylophone. The xylophone, yes. Okay. So just a bit little basic of percussion instruments, but that kind of like solidified that yes, music is going to be a part of my life forever. Yeah. And so after that, like I didn't do percussion more because it is super ex it, it's too expensive <laughs> to get a drum set and it's way too loud. Yeah. But one of my friends would always play the guitar in the band room and I would always get so jealous mm -hmm. because in middle school all of the girls would kind of flock to him <laughs> whenever he played the guitar. Yeah. And me being a hopeless romantic, I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna learn how to do that. And so <laughs> I kid you not, I 
had a guitar that my dad bought off of eBay with mm -hmm. nylon strings <laughs> out of tune. Yeah. And I played that thing off of YouTube, like learning off of YouTube videos for six months. Mm -hmm. I sounded terrible for six months. Yeah. But after that, I was able to hold a tune and it grew into something that I like play on a daily basis. Yeah. So I've been playing guitar for a couple of years now. Um, dang, it's kind of old now but a little over like 10 years but it's been an on and off thing but it's something that brings me joy even yeah. in my darkest moments which mm. is super cool because it's something that you have to practice it's like learning something new but it makes you happy so yeah that's interesting you brought that up man. have you ever played guitar in public before that's my goal man okay that's my goal so not officially. The closest thing I had is very similar to your fish camp story. Mm -hmm. I was at a camp out and I brought my acoustic Ibanez guitar mm -hmm. and I was playing around a campfire and it was only me and my roommate, my, mm -hmm. me and my roommate and uh, this other geoscience major at the time who were just like singing along to some like country blues. And then I started playing Country Roads, Take oh. Me Home. <laughs> yeah. And we were in... Big Bend, Texas, which is oh um, yeah yeah, which is like not not Yeehaw, it's but a it's more rural. It's yeah. a national park. Yeah, national park. And so I started playing country roads, and then it was like golden hour, and then like slowly by slowly, like other campsites started getting closer to like hear what we were playing because we were being kind of loud. <laughs> we we're like West Virginia, like we were going out <laughs> of it, and so everybody came in, and then like we started hearing all the other camp like sites singing. Country roads, they didn't come to our campfire necessarily, yeah. just because like it's kind of weird. Yeah. But they like moved their stuff closer, and they started like getting in piles closer around to where we were playing. We could hear them singing along. It was really cool. So I had like a little three like short song concert. I played that, and then um, I think a song by Justin Justin Bieber was Purpose, mm. and then I played um, what was that? What was that one song? Um, oh. Sweet Caroline, because ah. yes, that's a that's a these are all bops. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. They're, they're they're campfire bops. I learned them just for that um, moment. Yeah. But it was a good around like crowd of 25, yeah. 30 max people that were singing along to it. That's the most like clout, I guess you could that's say. That's the best feeling ever, though. Is like having people just appreciate the music. They don't even have to appreciate you. Thank you. They just appreciate the music you're playing and and like knowing that you you put happiness out there. It's it's a great feeling. Heck yeah. yeah. And that's my goal, honestly, is to take my guitar playing skills to the level where it can become profitable. Mm -hmm. And or I can play in front of people. Yeah. Or not necessarily profitable, but where if the MSC is like, hey, we need a performer, I could be like, bat suit on, mm -hmm. guitar in yeah. my hand, and just shred a lick or whatnot. You definitely need to do that. So I'm working up to it. And that's my goal is by senior year, mm -hmm. I um, is to perform publicly at least once. Please. No, I'd love that. I, I had a, a very similar, kind of similar experience, but um, in, in New York, they have these just public pianos sitting around. They have yeah. those in, in Boston, too. I went with my family one time, and then I went to New York on my own to see my sister. But they have the, these pianos just sitting around, like public pianos you can go up to and play. Okay. And I was playing at one of them, and one of the ladies thought I was like a street performer. Like she was asking me like where to put the money, and I was like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm like, I'm just playing this for y'all. Like it's just, I want to see your guys' reactions. Yeah. We had a little crowd going around. I was obviously playing, like, I was playing all of me by John Legend. Uh -huh. I was playing Let It Go from Frozen. Oh yeah. I was playing a bunch of like Apologize, One Republic. Yeah. These like bops. 
Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, people were asking me like where to donate and I was like, I don't need money. Like this is enough. Like I just love <laughs> doing this and I don't know. It's, it's just so fun making people happy through like something you're doing like work. Like I obviously I'm majoring in engineering, but yeah. you know, if I see a public piano somewhere, I'm never going to turn it down. It's just so fun. That's so cool. That. But the cool thing with guitar is that it's portable. And that's something I've always been True. jealous of is I can play piano, but yeah. I can't carry a piano around. I'm not carrying my <laughs> keyboard on my back or anything. Yeah. But guitar, like you could literally walk and play that. Mm -hmm. I've been so jealous. So you, mm -hmm. I really hope that you get to a point where you're comfortable performing in front of a lot of people. Oh, I will definitely man, I go. Hope so. <laughs> Thank you, dude. Mr. Flow Part 2. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so I guess we're going to close this up. But before we close this up, I just wanted to ask a couple of, like, fun questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I want you to give me, I want you to give me, I know you love to dance. Yeah. Give me, like, two songs that if you, if you heard in the club, like, people would be gathering around in a circle to watch you. Like, you would just... You know every word. You know every beat. Like, you low-key have a choreography in your head already. Um, the first song is Wipe Me Down by Labusi. <laughs> and the second song is 96,000 mm -hmm. by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm -hmm. Now, context. First one, Wipe Me Down by Labusi is the anthem of my childhood. Yeah. It is a song about straight, just hood rat, like buffoonery just no good antics yeah all on a trap beat and it is so live because me and my friends learned a choreography that we still practice to this day I i'm not gonna say like practice regularly like religiously yeah. but if we see each other in person and this uh -huh. song comes on in the club then we're busting out our billy walk we busting <laughs> out the wipe me down swag yeah. and the swag swerve too so wipe me uh wipe me down my little boozy and then 96,000 by Lin-Manuel Miranda because that is the most emotionally driven song that will get me to dance. Mm -hmm. It, um, context, I did my first musical whenever I was in high school as a sophomore. And the thing is, I was picked for the lead role as a Benny Rosario in, um, in the Heights, not knowing how to sing a lick, dude. <laughs> like, I had no idea how to sing. Yeah. And they picked me because I could act it out. And they're like, yeah, we could teach you how to sing. And I had, I had dude, yeah. if for my regular human beings out there, the people who don't sing 24-7, if you've ever tried to hit, like, a high note in a song, if you, if you heard that little scourge, and it's, <laughs> it's discouraged you for the rest of your life, that was me going into this. And now you're telling me I have to sing in front of a crowd of 100 people, yeah. including my peers who relegate my popularity? Like, <laughs> dog, I was terrified. But... My singing coach, who was my uh, theater director at the time, told me, Bailey, like, just practice and you'll be better. And I didn't believe him. Yeah. Because I thought that singing was honestly, like, a God-given gift. Like, it was something that you're born with. Yeah, you either have but, it or not. Exactly. But after about two months of practicing every single day of how to belt, how to um, go into my head voice, mm -hmm. how to properly secure my um, vocal cords, mm -hmm. I was able to produce a sound like a melody and, and singing rhythm yeah. that I found actual like pleasing to my ear my own ear like I was like wow I actually sound decent enough to listen to myself without cringing myself to death mm -hmm. so my director gave me the very good um 
a very important lesson that don't don't be too hard on yourself because if you keep shooting yourself in the foot, then you'll never achieve success. Like failure is a part of success, so yeah. you have to fail to success and to fail to succeed. And ninety six thousand, whenever I perform this song for the first time, there's a belt that lets me go like super high, like super yeah. high, dude. And I hit it perfectly. Uh -huh. And I looked in the crowd and I saw like everybody gasp. They're yeah. like, oh. and like that's Bailey, like oh. And I was like. That like it made me feel elated. I I don't like to brag about myself, but having myself try two months to accomplish a feat I never thought I could accomplish, and then people being proud of me was so freaking cool. And so whenever I hear this song and that um note comes like for real though, and the song ends, I'm usually in tears. Yeah. Like I, I kid you not, I'll 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 be in tears. But there's an entire choreography set that goes with it, yeah. and it's like a hip hop slash New York musical dance style Damn. that has me on the floor and rapping at the same time. So if this song were to come on in any like odd scenario, because it's, it's it's not too, too popular, mm -hmm. I'm busting out, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm going out. I love that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was I honestly not expecting those answers, but I think that's, that's, that's something to keep in mind next time, you know, I, I see you out in a public setting. I'll just request a... I have an honorable mention though. Go. It has to be Glamorous by Fergie. Oh. No. Like, oh, Nelly, yeah, Glamorous by Nelly and Glamorous Fergie. is good. Because I love me some old 2000s, mm -hmm. like, nice pop music. Yeah. And hearing, hearing that G-L-A-M <laughs> gets me going, dude. Like, I can listen to that all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that I would, I would go on the um, dance floor immediately. Too. There you go. Yeah, for me, I was minds are very similar to glamorous, but "See You Again" by Miley Cyrus. Okay. So like the yeah, it's it's a bop. I'll like listen to it while I'm in the gym or something. I'll yeah. just be like dancing around or whatever. I'm just like, <laughs> gosh, I wish this was like we we're at a club or something and this was on. Yeah. So that's a great one for me. And then "Circus" by Britney Spears is another one. Mm -hmm. I just you know low key of. I've danced to it so many times on my own. I'm just like, if this ever plays in public for some reason, um, I got it. Or Dark Horse by Katy Perry. That song is just, it makes you feel different. I don't know how else to say it. No, that, that song's a hitter. That it makes hitter. you feel different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then finally, um, I guess I wanted to ask you to, you know, if you were listening to this in the future, mm -hmm. whether it would be in a couple of years or... You know, even, you know, by the end of this year, um, what do you want to say to yourself? You hit me with the deep one last, Vic. I got to congratulate you. Yeah. That, That's a good one. But So, to clearly understand, this is for future Bailey to now Bailey or now Bailey to future Bailey? Now Bailey. The future Bailey. Now Bailey the future Bailey. What I would say is keep what's important to you closest and then keep your distractions furthest away from you. And mainly because what's important is the people that you love and that should be number one. And no matter how much success, no matter what acclaims, titles, or even despair I may be in, 
to always remember that I have a family and that I have a support system and that I have people that love and care about me, like Victor Zhang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would I would say very something really similar to the future Bailey. Honestly, to anyone listening to this too, but um, like you are, you're really important. You know, life isn't always going to work out. There's going to be things that are very unfortunate um, that happen to you sometimes. You know, you might plan for things to happen a certain way, and it doesn't happen at all. And sometimes it happens like complete opposite from what you expected. Um, you know, but I hope you know whoever listens to this, whether it is somebody just listening or, or future Bailey, that um, you know you have people around you who are always going to care for you, whether it be your family or even me too. Um, I'm always a phone call away. I will always like be there, and you know, doesn't matter how much time passes since the last time I either saw you or talked to you. Um, I'm always down to help a friend out. So you always got me. You always got other people, so just remember that you're never alone. Yeah, I guess that's just how we're going to end it. That's beautiful, man. Also, Future Bailey, if you haven't bought a Cadillac 300C yet, go ahead and make an investment, because that's like my dream card. <laughs> oh my gosh, I cannot. <laughs> uh, Alright, well, thank you so much um, for making it this far. Sauce, I appreciate you being here with me. This is one of the longer podcasts I've done, so thanks for just being patient. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, yeah. And to anybody else listening, thank you, and I will see you on the next one. Goodbye.